This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we will begin in verse 18 today. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Um, this is not a Mother's Day sermon. However, um, there is a theme of this sermon that goes along with mothers, just like it actually goes along with every Christian. Um, What we're going to see here in this text that we're going to look at today is how the pattern that uh, is described here in the life of Jesus is that suffering led to glory, okay? And that's the... That's the experience in all lives of all believers, right? Suffering, we live in this present evil age. We live in a life of of suffering in the here and now, but it leads to glory one day. And mothers, you who have been mothers, uh, you know that suffering leads to glory. Um. Christian mothers, if your hope is in Jesus, the suffering that you've gone through as a mother is not in vain. It is what leads you to glory. So that's my Mother's Day connection here. Um, To remind us of, you know, it's been a while since I've seen you guys. um, And I always like to kind of keep in mind where we've been throughout the whole book. Um, Peter is writing here to suffering Christians, which kind of goes along with our theme. He's writing to believers who live in the midst of a hostile world, just like us. He's writing uh, to, and he, he calls the believers he's writing to um, strangers and aliens that, that we live in a world that is not our home. Uh, this world is hostile to believers. And uh, uh, he gives us reasons to praise God, even in the midst of this hostile world. You know, we've been born again, right? We've been born again. If, if you're a child, if you've trusted in Jesus, you've been born again. We have a new life. You're not the person you used to be. And um, we have a future hope. You know, that's the glory that that we're going to talk about. We have a future hope that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Uh, You know, and and so we praise God for that. And we also, um, we know that God holds us in his hand. And we praise God for that. When we feel like the suffering is just too much, we can't take it any longer. He holds on to us. We praise God for that. Uh, We see that on the basis of what God has done for us in Jesus, uh, he, he, uh, he calls us to a life of living holy, to fear God, to love one another. Because remember, we are our uh, um, uh, brothers and sisters who've been born again by, by, by the word, this imperishable seed. All of these things we've already seen in first Peter. We've seen the suffering. We've seen the description of of glory that's to come. And we see that that is the pattern that that Jesus followed in his life. We are 
to imitate Jesus, right? To follow after his steps. We saw that in uh, chapter uh, 2, whenever he was talking about slaves submitting to their masters. Uh, we are to walk in Jesus' steps. To, when, when we face suffering, we follow right after Jesus. And so here, I'm going to go ahead and dive into the text. Um, what we're seeing here is Jesus, the description of Jesus suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and his ascendancy to glory. Let's look at our text. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to believe what you have said. Give us ears to hear and help us, Lord, to understand some difficult things in this passage. Feed us by your word. Give me grace and strength in Jesus' name. Amen. When I have uh, read commentaries on this passage as a whole, uh, my commentary actually said that this is one of the most difficult passages to understand in the whole New Testament. Okay? Uh, because, not because of the first verse, not because of the first verse, but because of what happens later on. And we're going to get to that. But this whole thing with uh, Christ descending and, and preaching to the spirits now in prison, what is all that about? We're going to get there. But first, let's, let's focus in on um, verse 18. Christ also suffered. You suffer. Believers, we suffer. We live in the midst of a hostile world and we suffer. We, you know, I've got, I guess, a cold. <laughs> it started out with allergies. You know, allergy season is upon us. You're probably all with me there. Started getting a little bit raspy last week. And, and that is just, I think, one of the effects of the fall on us. You know, we suffer. We have aches and pains. We, we, we live with things like cancer, coronavirus, um, all kinds of things that we suffer in this world. Family relationships that are soured. We suffer from all kinds of things. This week, not only did I have a cold, 
But I worked through it because I didn't want to take off. And I knew it wasn't coronavirus because I had that back in November. So I went ahead and worked. And on Friday, oh, man, it was one of the hardest jobs, single jobs that I've ever had. I was going in and installing four TVs. It took me eight hours. I got there at 9.30 in the morning. I worked until 5.30 at one place. And the reason it took so long is I had to crawl through a crawl space. It was like this. I couldn't even roll over. It was so tight. And I can feel, I can right now feel pains in my arm and my chest uh, from just kind of trying to scoot along. I can feel the pain right now. So suffering, okay? Maybe you've, maybe you've experienced some suffering like I've experienced some suffering this week. Here it tells us Christ also suffered. Christ also suffered. He suffered, I mean, he became human. He was once with God from all eternity past, the second person of the Trinity, and he left heaven, became a human being. The Word became flesh. He had to become flesh to suffer. He, he suffered with us. He suffered not only, of course, he did suffer on the cross ultimately, but he suffered, you know... I, did he protect himself from viruses? <coughs> I think he experienced all of the same realities that we experience. I wonder, did he have allergies? <laughs> he experienced all the pains. He suffered. And ultimately, what this text is talking about, what it's getting to is he suffered once for sins. There's two concepts here I want to cover. <coughs> when he went to cross, went to the cross, he suffered once and he suffered for sins. I'm going to treat both of those. First of all, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump to the four sins. Christ suffered for our sins. His suffering was not meaningless. His suffering meant something. He suffered for our sins. In the Old Testament, there was the sacrificial system. And in the sacrificial system, the, you know, yearly, and not just yearly, but regularly, the priests would take, make sacrifices. <coughs> they would make sacrifices of animals, bulls, lambs, all kinds of animals over and over and over again. And the reason why they did this sacrifice was it was to cover, to pay for the sins of the people. Because we're broken. We're sinners. And we uh, need forgiveness. And the only way that God could forgive us, the Bible says, there's without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiving of sins. So this animal, whatever animal it was, was sacrificed over and over and over again for the sins of the people. That animal would take the place of the human being. 
the repentant one who's offering the sacrifice. And all of that sacrificial system of the Old Testament was all pointing forward to the future reality that finally came in Jesus when he would come and he would be the sacrifice. So when it says Jesus suffered for sins, it's telling us he was the Lamb of God that was slain for us. His punishment, his death, his suffering took the place of our sins. We owed a debt because of our sins. We are guilty and deserve the wrath of God. And he suffered for that, as payment for that. And it also tells us <coughs> Christ suffered once for sins. He suffered once for sins. Not like the Old Testament sacrificial system where it had to go over and over and over again, year after year. All of that, no. He suffered once for sins. No longer do we have to continue sacrifice. Christ's death was once for all. It was sufficient. His, Jesus paid it all. Christ, his suffering was sufficient. It was substitutionary. It was, it was this sacrifice for our sins. It was, um, well, well uh, let me see here. I'm getting lost. <laughs> the righteous for the unrighteous. We are unrighteous. We are sinners. We have rebelled against God. Jesus was perfect, spotless, sinless. And he suffered in our place. It was substitutionary. It was sacrificial. It was sufficient. And it was substitutionary. The righteous one took the place of the unrighteous, which is us. This is what Jesus' suffering accomplished. That he might bring us to God. What did Jesus accomplish in his suffering on the cross? He brought us to God. He did this for reconciliation. We were once his enemies. We were once rebels. We were once alienated from God, apart from him, without God in the world. And he, in what he did on the cross, he brought us to God. He reconciled us. We were once his enemies. Now we're not just friends, though we can call him his fr a friend, but we're his sons and daughters brought into the family of God. We've been adopted. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is just verse 18. I haven't gotten to the rest of it yet. I often have preached this verse by itself. As a, but verse 18, uh, he was put to death in the flesh. We know he, he died, but he rose. He was made alive in the Spirit, by the Spirit. The, God rose Jesus from the dead, and he was victorious. So all from verse 18, Jesus' suffering was sacrificial, sufficient, substitutionary. It was for our reconciliation. It was victorious. Amen? Amen. Now here's the hard part. 
Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. And then it tells us in verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few persons that in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the water what's this about in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison where does this fit where does this this fit in in this suffering to glory pattern that we're seeing here. The Apostles' Creed. Has anybody heard of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven, Maker of Earth. Um, It's an ancient, ancient creed that goes back to, uh, they say, from the Apostles' time. But in that, one of the lines says that he ascended into hell. I believe that he ascended into hell. What does that mean? You know, we don't read a lot about that. There's not a lot of verses. There's one place in Colossians that may talk about it. And I think the other place that talks about it is right here. What does this mean? I don't think that it means that somehow because uh, what, what took place on the cross wasn't enough. So Jesus had to go to hell and suffer to atone more. That's not what it was. It at the cross, it was finished. He said so. It is finished. So why would he descend? Why would he proclaim to the spirits in prison? Why would he, as the Apostles' Creed says, descended into hell? I think from the passage in Colossians and from right here, the hint is that he went and he proclaimed victory over the demonic powers. He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. And that word there, proclaimed, um, it's, the, it's not the word for preaching the gospel. It's the word, word for a general um, proclamation, a heralding. So when it says he went and proclaimed, he's, he's basically, he, I think what, what took place during that time period between the cross and the resurrection is he went and he descended into hell like the Apostles' Creed says, And he gave a victory speech. He said, it is finished. I have won. And he proclaimed victory, holding over his trophy over his enemies' faces. To the spirits now in prison. Now, who are these spirits? Who are these spirits now in prison? Tom read here from, uh, well, we, we know here, Verse 20 says, because they formerly did not, the spirits did not, it formerly did not obey when, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. So we know that these spirits are someone that was, some people that, or, or spirits that were around back in the days of Noah. This is the connection to what uh, Tom read earlier. He read from Genesis chapter 6, talking about these, uh, Mighty men of old, and he, he the, about how um, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. And you know, back a year ago, when I was with you, we were we were 
going through Genesis, those early chapters, and we, I covered this passage. You already know what I think here. <coughs> I believe that that was, that the sons of God that that was talking about were angelic beings that came down. They had relations with human women and produced offspring. And um, this was one of the wicked things that was taking place. These fallen angels did this. And because they were fallen angels, the floodwaters wasn't going to take them out. They were angels. So at that time, uh, God imprisoned these spirits, these fallen angels. He imprisoned them. And so who was it that Jesus went and proclaimed victory over at that time? He descended into hell and he proclaimed victory over these angelic beings from back in the time of Noah. This is a hard text. Now, there are other views on this text. Um, this is what I understand to be the truth. If, if, if what I'm saying sounds a little unbelievable to you, check it out in the commentary. See what the major views are. I think I'm, uh, uh, it, it would take too long for, for time's sake. I'm not going to go over all the opposing views on this. Um, but this is what I think this is saying. And the big picture is Jesus suffered, he died, he was buried, and he rose again by the Spirit. And while he was in the midst of that, he had descended and proclaimed victory over all of his enemies. Now, you thought that was hard. Verse 21. Baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, um, I don't know what you all think, but I'm a Baptist, personally. I'm a Baptist, and I would be one of the first ones to say, baptism doesn't save us. It's an act of obedience. We are baptized because God has already saved us and we're following through in obedience to what he's commanded us to do. So how do I explain this where it says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you? Am I saying Am I doing a little sleight of hand and saying, this doesn't mean what you think it means? <laughs> well, he says, corresponding to this. And that word corresponding to this, uh, it has to do with typology, symbolic language here. I think baptism is a symbol of what has already, uh, of what takes place. Baptism is a symbol of what takes place, corresponding to this. And here... Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. And then he follows this up with not as a removal of dirt from the body. He's, he's, he's guarding against any kind of misunderstanding here. It's, it's not just some kind of a mechanical act where you dunk under the water and you come out and you're, you're saved. That's, that's, he's, he's guarding against that. He's not as a removal of dirt from the flesh but as an appeal to God for a good conscience 
So baptism here as is, according to this, I think by definition, an appeal to God for a good conscience. When we go under the water, we're saying, God, I believe in you. I've trusted in you. This is my appeal. This is my public proclamation and my appeal that I have a good conscience. Also, how does baptism relate to the flood? Think about it. In the flood, in the flood, this is what's corresponding to baptism here. The flood, how does the flood relate to baptism? Well, in the flood, when the waters rose, that was the death and destruction, right? Death and destruction. And it was those in the ark that were saved. They were plunged into the water and they came out alive. Baptism corresponds to that because the waters of baptism are not what cleans us off. The waters of baptism symbolize death and destruction. And the waters of baptism, when we go under the water, we're symbolizing the death and burial of Jesus and his resurrection. Just like Jesus died and was buried and rose again, so the believer dies to their old person who they used to be and raises again to walk in the newness of life. The, pick, the ba- baptism then, I think, corresponds, it's symbolic of an inward change in which the believer has died to the old man and risen again in Christ. So, be a Berean. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Don't take my word for it. That's how I understand this text. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as the removal from, of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22. Now it picks back up where it left off in verse 19 or 18. Let's kind of skip all that stuff and just read it without all the stuff looking back at the descending into hell and baptism now saves you. I'm just going to read verse 18 and then skip all the way to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And he's now gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and power powers having been subjected to him. Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. He's ascended into heaven. And he now rules and reigns at the right hand of God. And all of his enemies are subject to him. Christ's suffering was the pathway to glory. Now, believers, we live in the midst of a hostile world. We suffer just like Jesus suffered. And what is our encouragement as we face these days of suffering? We know that Christ 
also suffered. And that he was put to death. And that he rose again. And will one day raise again. This world of suffering now will not last. We will, we will one day die and be put in the ground like Jesus was, but he will one day come back and get us. We'll be raised. Jesus, pathway, Jesus suffering was the pathway to glory and it is ours as well. While we suffer in this world, one day we know that He is coming and He's going to bring us to glory. We have a future hope that is waiting for us that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is kept in heaven for you. This is the message of 1 Peter. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins and He rose again. And one day, though we may die in this life, we believe in Him. If we trust in Him, we'll raise again as well. And we'll live with Him forever in glory. This is a difficult text. Mothers, you're suffering just like Jesus. This is the pathway to glory. Just like all believers are suffering is the pathway to glory.